You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Last week, and then uh, we had the picnic in the park uh, the, the last Sunday, and so it's been a while. I was getting nervous. I haven't preached for a while, so if my voice is a little shaky, then just bear with me. Um, along those lines, in Guatemala, uh, which we'll share with, uh, we'll share about that at length later, but I, uh, I preached a couple times, and the first time I, I preached in English, and then they translated that into Spanish, and then they translated that into Tutsahil, which is, which is like a, a Mayan thing. And so as I'm like preparing, I'm like, how long do you normally preach? And it's like, ah, you know, 40 minutes or 35 minutes, but with translation and then with translation. So I had like six words on a piece of paper, you know? And so today I, I just prepared four times the amount of notes, and so just to make up for lost time. So there's no translation, all right? Uh, would you pray with me? And then we'll, we'll hop in. Father, thanks for the gift of your church, of your people um, that are gathered together all around the world uh, on this day and, and in this basement this morning. Thanks for the gift of these people that are medicine to my soul. And they are um, just... And encouragers, and, and they build up, and they send out. And so thanks for the gift of this church that we get to sit under your word right now, that we get to celebrate and worship and sing to you and about you, and, and we get to just be mindful to lift one another up. Um, there's a lot of broken stuff outside of these walls, and, and there's a lot of it that we bring in with us. And so would you just let us be good humans that reflect your glory and your kingdom that, that care for one another well. And, um, and in, in these moments, Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see? And would you engage disbelief today? Those who are, are, are here or listening in some way that, that don't put their life in your hands, that don't trust you above all things, today would you just engage that through your word and by your spirit? And would you, would you invite those that are outside to be part of your kingdom to be part of your family today, tomorrow, and forever. We thank you that uh, you are God and we are not. We thank you for your love for us in Jesus' name. Amen. It is reported that one in nine Americans either do not believe or they are unsure whether or not we landed on the moon in 1969. And you might be like, right, right? One in nine of you are probably like saying that, right? And so I'm not picking fights here. Um, so conspiracy theorists, they come in many flavors, and, and some even capitalize on the movement of mistrust, which I understand. I understand a movement of mistrust, right? I understand that. So there are YouTube channels and podcasts devoted just to explore uh, conspiracy theories and and. Uh, and, and I listen to some of those, not because I consider myself one, but because I want to know what, what you all are believing out there, right? Um, and so no matter the theory about whatever the conspiracy, this, this I know. Many who reject kind of the public line, they have some similarities in the way that they engage that. They're, they're absolutely willing to change their view, 
You have to know that. They're, they're absolutely willing to change their view if they find enough compelling evidence to do so. And, and some that I've heard even offer like cash payouts to anyone with, with proof that can like debunk or overturn whatever it is that they're, uh, you know, like sharing or whatever. And so one might think that they're open to hear the truth or, or to believe that which is true. But the issue is, uh, if in, in many instances, if they're shown video evidence or if like that missing person that like supposedly disappeared or whatever, if that person is, is standing in front of them or if there's like a DNA report that confirms that that, that person actually exists or, or whatever it is, they, they excuse the evidence beyond sensible levels. They would say, well, yeah, of course you would say that, but the video is edited. And, and of course this person looks like the person in the video, but we know that that this is just a lookalike, it's not really them. Or if they, you would say, here are the lab reports, here's the DNA results, and they would say, well, of course, well, the lab's a part of it as well. And so they're, like, what you find out is that in many instances, and if you, find yourself, if you call yourself a conspiracy theorist, I'm not like, lumping you in here. I'm just saying this is kind of the, the, the way this line of thought works, that, that there's no way to validate the proof because every claim is dismissed on the account that, that they don't believe. So there's no, way, there's no way to get in, whether it's true or not. They won't believe because they don't believe. And the sooner one realizes that that is the, the conversation, that it's not really about truth, but it's about belief, then the sooner one can understand what's really going on and at what level to engage. To be clear, I don't care what you believe about the moon landing. And I don't care what you believe uh, about Tupac or, uh, or vaccines or COVID or JFK or the Illuminati or the Denver airport or the shape of the earth or aliens or Bill Gates or Nessie or Bigfoot or the abominable snowman or Chupacabra. He was just seen recently in Texas. Uh, Chemtrails, MK Ultra, other mind control experiments. And look, I can have chats about all of the. I, I'm relatively informed about all of those things. If you want to chat, we can chat. But here's the thing I don't care what you believe about those things. What I do care about is, is what you believe about Jesus. And, and even more than that, more importantly, Jesus cares what you believe about Jesus because it means everything to you, to your life today, tomorrow, and forever. So what we're looking at here today is, is we see Jesus engage the cause and the consequence and the chaos of unbelief. That's what he's doing. So the first thing that we see is, is the cause of unbelief. Again, we're in John chapter 10, verse 22. And what happens is, is these Jews who have been opposing Jesus for the whole time, uh, they, they continue to gather information and they continue to be angry and continue to want to kill him. But here we see that they gather around him in the temple, kind of like the porch of the temple. And, and this is what they say to him. They say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Look, I know I say this all the time, but these people circle Jesus and they say, okay, stop, stop being cryptic. Just tell us, like, just flat out, like, who are you? Like, are you the Christ? Just tell us. And you imagine Jesus, like, literally 
looks at the camera because he's, he's already shown them. He's already told them. He's like, this is, un, this is unbelievable. It's, it's insane. It's in this moment that Jesus and certainly John, as he's telling us this, that the disciples around him, that you and I, that it's, it's in this moment that, that we know that what the Jews seek, they will never find. Despite their question about his identity, they don't really care, nor will they be convinced. They ask for his word as evidence so they might believe him, but their question isn't genuine. And it's interesting, the word that that is used here to describe the Jews surrounding him in the kind of like the temple courts or whatever, it's, it's the same, it's only used four times in scripture, and two of those four times... It is used uh, for, for circling armies. <laughs> and so like, it's like in, aggressive, in an aggressive way, they encircle him to ask him some questions. So their goal and, and game isn't belief. It's to hear him plainly state his identity so they can condemn him on the account of blasphemy. That's what they've been doing, and that's what they continue to do. Their question isn't aiming to build belief, but it's flowing from already existing unbelief. It isn't a stretch for us to find this line of thought, maybe in our own thoughts, certainly in this room, and and without a doubt, uh, outside of this room. They claim to want more information about Jesus, But the information they seek is really just to crucify him for the answer that he gives. In our world, this is commonplace. It's true for the world who looks on skeptically at the true version of Jesus. It's true for the world outside that that actually tries to see Jesus for who he is. And, And at times it's even true for those within the church who look for plot holes and character assassinations by by drawing their own lines built on self made moral or ethical or or self made definitions of what is good and bad or true and false or right and wrong. As if to say, like, if I just had enough evidence, then I could believe. And look, I, like, I'm a fan of apologetics and the work that, that many theologians and, and people that are part of the church do to build uh, cases of logic and reason for God. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. That's, that's a good thing. But, but I think it's also true that people won't just be reasoned into the kingdom by and large. And so we say things like, if I just had all of the answers answered, and I knew all that God knows, man, then, then I could believe. Well, well, yeah, if you knew all that God, yeah, if you were God, then you would believe in God. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. And so we say, if I just knew what happened to the dinosaurs or how Adam and Eve fits within Earth's history, or, or if I could reconcile how God sovereignly calls people to himself and yet holds sinners uh, responsible and accountable. Then, then, like, if I just had those answers sorted, then I would believe. If I could just see perfect people following this perfect God perfectly, well, man, then I would, then I would see enough to be convinced. If I just saw the church, like, living as perfectly as Jesus did, whew, then that would be enough for me. But right now, the church, like, they don't live that way, and so I'm not going to believe. Or maybe if I just saw uh, if I just separate Jesus from his father, then I can buy into that. 
or if I just separate Jesus from his church, man, then I can buy what he's selling. But the reality is there's no room for that. There's, there's not room for either of those things. There's not room to decapitate Jesus from his body, the church. There's not room to, uh, to, to pull out the essence of one God and to have Jesus against his Father. And, and even in this passage today, we'll see that, that, they, are, that they are one. And so there, there's, no, there's no room for that. Jesus doesn't allow for that. And here's the thing, like I am a, a Christian. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, like rest assured, right? That's where I'm hanging out today, right? Um, and some of you are like, whew, that's good to know. That's good to know. I am a Christian and I am a man of reason. And, and one of my favorite uh, words from Paul is in Philippians 4. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And so I hear that and I'm like, yeah, yes, that's good. Like reason, can we just, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, can we just hang out and like be reasonable? That, that's okay. And now I know at the same time, Paul says like, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then like, then everything that we're doing is silly and foolish. And so like, that's unreasonable to think that someone rose from the dead. And so, like, but, but what it means is, is being a follower of Jesus who submits to the authority of, of, scripture, of Scripture doesn't excuse me or you from using your God-given brain. It doesn't do that. We, we get to use our brain. It doesn't reduce kind of the larger existential questions to black and white or yes and no like many Christians and even non-Christians try to do. I, I hate the bumper sticker that reads, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And if you have that, like I don't hate you, right? Um, and to be fair, like that's true. And I can sit in that, but I think... Uh, I hate it on the account that it usually, it's kind of laced with a posture of ignorance, unwilling to engage. And we get to engage. We get to engage all of these things. But here's the thing. Jesus, he isn't unwilling to engage. In fact, that's exactly what he does. So, so they surround him and they say, Jesus, come on, just tell us plainly. Like, are you the Christ? And he's like, I'm sure he said the words, is this real life? To his disciples, like, is this real life? Like, what more do I have to do for these people? And so this is what he says. He says, I, I told you, and you do not believe. I, I've already told you. you. You don't want the truth. You want me to say something different. I've already told you, and you don't believe. And then he, he goes on, he tells them, like, why? Like, the works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Like, I've done things that you know no one else can do. I've done things in the name of, of God, in the name of my Father that no one else can do, but you don't believe me. You ready for this? Because you are not part of my flock. He, he gives the cause. Now here's what's crazy. Most of us would probably say, you're not part of the flock because you don't believe. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, you don't believe because you're not part of the flock. And for some of you, you're like, oh, yes, say it. That's good. That's good news. And some of you are like, how's that? 
And then you're getting, stub- you're getting like tripped up on stuff that I said three minutes ago and you're thinking, how do these things work together? He's building on what, what John has already led us through to this point. You don't believe because you're not mine. That's, that's what he said. You don't believe because you're not mine. And that's, that's tough. You're not mine because you haven't been given to me. Or, or to just take some quotes from John up to this point. You haven't been given eyes to see. No one comes to me unless the Father draws him. No one comes to me unless the Father makes them want to come to me. We don't find God, but God reveals himself to his sheep who respond in faith. And here's like something that I, I won't tease out, but that will maybe like trip your mind up for a minute. That regeneration, this is uh, high level theological words, Regeneration precedes conversion. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that that you're given life and then you respond in faith. So he's interweaving human responsibility and divine sovereignty. The proof that you're not mine is that you don't believe. And and likewise, your disbelief disqualifies your membership into the flock, into, into my fold. And then he goes on to show them what their eyes aren't able to see. They place the blame of their unbelief on who? On Jesus. That's why they approach him with the question. We want to believe. Just give us the evidence. We want to believe, just say the words that you are the Christ, that you are the long-awaited Messiah, the one that's going to come and you're going to make everything right again. Just tell us you're the one that all the prophets have talked about. They put their disbelief or their unbelief on him. Jesus, you haven't been clear enough, but consider what we've already seen, what they've already seen. I'll give you just like a couple of the things. Chapter two, Jesus turns water to wine. Chapter three, John the Baptist testifies that Jesus is the Messiah. Chapter four, Jesus heals the official son without even taking a step towards the town that he was living in. He does it like remotely. Chapter five, Jesus heals a man lame for 38 years. And he says that he did that so that he might receive glory. And then he claims God is his father. He claims to be the son of God, the son of man. All Old Testament references pointing to the Messiah, the one. In chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 with a a six-piece McNugget Happy Meal. In chapter 7, Jesus stood at a Jewish festival and he connected a messianic prophecy from Isaiah to himself and he begged those listening to come to him and receive the gift of the Spirit, a gift only the Messiah could give. In chapter 8, he continued to preach at at the festival and he claimed to be the light of life, the light of the world. He, He called God his Father, he called himself the Son of Man again and he claimed the identity of I Am, which is literally the name that God gives himself uh, when he's talking to Moses. Chapter, 10, he, he, uh, or chapter 9, he, he healed a man born blind. In chapter 10, he applied a messianic prophecy about a coming good shepherd to himself, claiming to fulfill that role. 
He's not been unclear. It's not evidence that they need. They were looking for a political leader to overthrow Rome, to reset uh, a theocracy, to rule from an earthly kingdom. But even though he didn't use the term Messiah repeatedly, his works and his words made his identity very clear. He was the promised Messiah sent by God to redeem his people. And so... What I believe to be true from this passage, what I believe to be true for these people, what I believe to be true for people in this room, what I believe to be true for for maybe your neighbor, is the problem is not intellectual ignorance, but it's spiritual ignorance. And I'm not saying we can't engage on the intellectual level because we, we must be able to do that. In chapter 9, he, he said that they were spiritually blind, They know what Jesus said. They know what Jesus claims. They know what Jesus has done. And yet, they are lost in darkness. Or, simply put, they don't believe because they're unwilling to embrace the truth about Jesus. They could, before them see the video evidence and, and, and he could show up next to them and, and, and for us he could show us his scars and he could, he could sit next to us and he could unfold history and show us how all of it is his work and, and all of his work and all of it he, could, he can reconcile our questions with indisputed answers but those who won't believe won't believe Look, I, and I didn't say those who don't believe won't believe I said those, those who won't believe, won't believe because the cause of unbelief isn't evidence. It's a heart resistant to the need for a Savior and, and a God who saves. That's true for them. It's true for us at times. And it's true for our neighbors. And yet, he says repeatedly, come to me and find rest. Cast your cares upon me because I can, I can handle them and I care for you. Come to me and find peace. Come to me and be set free. Come to me and be saved from sin and its debt and its demand. Come to me and find the fullness of life today, tomorrow, and forever. The second thing is, is we see the consequence of unbelief. So we're hopping in in uh, 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice. He's still talking to them, remember. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I will give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Oh, and, and I and the father are one. He's giving implications for for them and for us, and he's revealing more about himself. This is uh, in this little uh, window that we're looking in here in John 10, the end of John 10. It's it's basically the last public engagement in John until his death. And and after this, we'll see him kind of go, and he's, he's just investing into his disciples. He goes inward because time is short, and his time is near, and he knows that. So, so he's, he's letting us in on the consequence 
the consequences of unbelief. I remember when I learned what the word consequence was. I remember it like very specifically. I was in third grade and, and Mrs., we'll call her Mrs. Riley because that was her name. And uh, I'm not sure if she's around anymore, but um, no disrespect, whatever happens, whatever comes out of my mouth in the next 30 seconds. So uh, Mrs. Riley, she said it every day. Like literally every day, like you have, and she had a, a she had a voice, and I won't mimic her, but she said you you have to you have to know the consequences. She would say it all the time, and and uh, and one time I I had to write like a hundred sentences, and she was trying to teach me the consequences. Now I, I like racked my brain this week, like was it because I didn't turn in homework on time? And like to be fair, like she gave a lot of work. Like I was in third grade, and it was too much. Um. <laughs> And so, kids these days, right, you know, like, we have to do homework. Like, it was a lot. I'm talking, like, English, you know, verb, uh, noun stuff. I, I remember at one point, it was this blue, these blue pages of this book. I'm talking, like, 97 questions, right? And then we do it all again tomorrow. I'm like, this is, Mrs. Riley, this is a lot. So, she was teaching me about consequences. I either didn't turn in my homework on time or I talk back to her in some way. I can't see myself doing that, but like imagine that I did that. So, so I remember like for a couple days, I'm staying in at recess and I'm writing and I will not, whatever it was that I did. And, and she was at her desk and I was like done, you know, like this is going to be great. And I, um, I handed it to her, said, here you go, Mrs. Riley, I'm done. And she grabbed it and she just dropped it in the trash can. Like she did, like, so uh, my consequence for not being responsible or respectful was, was complete disrespect, right? This is third grade me, like, <laughs> oh gosh, anyway. Um, she understood the assignment, right? She understood the mission, and it was to teach me that there are consequences. And so, uh, gosh, I feel like I could just keep talking about that incident, <laughs> Like, I always jokingly say, like, oh, my past has no effect on my present. Like, jokingly, because that's not true. And maybe, like, that's something I need to lean into. So. <clears throat> Jeez. Why do I want to work so hard at stuff? Like, <laughs> why do I want validation? Like, I'm just, none of this is in my notes. I'm just thinking out loud. Um, so, so Jesus engages unbelief with a series of consequences, Right? Uh, and his are a little bit more valid. Uh, Matt Tucker, he teased out kind of the sheep-shepherd analogy from the, the early parts in John 10 last, or two weeks ago. Thanks for that, Matt. Um, and Jesus continues to use that analogy to connect dots and, and to connect consequences of unbelief. And, and this is what he says, just kind of real quickly. He says, my sheep hear me. And so remember, he's telling them that you're not you don't believe because you're not part of my flock. And then he, he's validating that by like saying, look, see, my sheep hear me. And what Matt said last week or two weeks ago was, was really interesting. He said there would be several sheep uh, folds together under several shepherds like in one thing. And, and then the shepherd comes up and whatever he says, hey, sheepy, sheepy, sheep. Like, and, and his just know. And they just get in line and they do the thing, right? And they line up for the water fountain and drinks and all that stuff. Whatever it is. And so they, they know uh, his voice. And Jesus is saying, look, my sheep know my voice. Y you don't. Then he goes on and he says, secondly, I know my sheep. What was your name again? 
I know my people. I, I know the people that, that I'm responsible for. I know the ones that the Father has given, given me, and I, and I will never let them go. I, I don't know you. Here's the thing. When we face final judgment, like so many people think it's going to be about like, oh, did I do more good than bad and, and moralism? That's, that's just not, that's not Christian, right? That's not the way things work. It's like you trust the perfect Savior to be all that you could not, not be or, or you don't have any other hope. Like you won't be a good enough lawyer on that day. But, but in that final judgment, the charge isn't about what you've done. It's about the nature of your relationship. Depart from me, what? I never knew you. And what he's saying is, I know my sheep. And then he goes on, he says, my sheep follow me. It's not just that they hear me. It's not just that I know them, but, but they follow me. He says it's, it's, it's never enough to have an idea of belief without it transforming you inside and out. That's what, that's what my sheep do. They're transformed by this truth. They're transformed by the fact that I am the good shepherd. Uh, Patty Roselle on an Extra 9 blog a couple weeks ago, she said this, the startling Admission in many of our churches is that people do not read and know their Bibles. They, uh, they're being formed by louder voices and urgent demands as busyness crowds out time and intention. So I would tie all that together that, that my sheep hear me, which means they sit under my word. And not only do they hear me, but, but I know them. And not only do I know them, but they follow me. And that's what it looks like to, to follow Jesus into obedience, even when it might not make sense to you. He knows best. His wisdom is not like ours. And then, and then he goes on. The fourth thing, I, I give them eternal life. They'll never perish. No one can snatch them from the security of my care. And, and there's this great line, and, and maybe you thought this came later on in history, but, but we see it here. There's this huge theological like truth bomb. In verse 29, I want to read it, and then I want to tell you what it says. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You know what he says? Here? Like, this is, this is Father's Day stuff. Happy Father's Day. He says, my dad can beat up your dad. <laughs> and if he doesn't say that, then you, like, read it. Read verse 29. That's what he says. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can take them from my hand. My dad can beat up your dad. So you're picking a fight with the wrong one. And by the way, I and the father, we're one. We're one and the same. If there was a, a gauntlet to be thrown, he, he does that here. If they're looking for a, a, a way to trip him up or to charge him with blasphemy, that's it. Like, you can't go around saying that, that you're God, that you're one with God. And what he's saying is, I've been here in front of you the whole time. I and the Father are one. I am God. He is me. I, I've been there from the beginning. I'll be here until the end. None can stand against him. None can stand against me. I have people. You are not my people. The evidence has been crystal clear, and it remains that way. We, we aren't even on the same team. You've not been adopted into my family. If, if you would just believe all I have to offer would be yours, instead you've chosen an enemy that you can't defeat. Your future is judgment. Your end is death. You have no shepherd and you have no flock. 
See, the world loves to take the best parts of the kingdom of God and, and discard the parts that cost us anything. To be part of the family of God, you must believe that Jesus is sent from God to save you from your real sin that has a real consequence. Not hypothetical, I know we're all sinners. Name a sin that you've done in the last month. Hmm, great question. Did you, we have to know that, that, that we are in debt because of our real sin. And we have to believe that Jesus came to save us from the penalty of that sin, which is work that, that you can't do on your own. There's no other way. All roads don't lead to eternal life, nor do they lead to Jesus. Your, your ear will be attuned to his word. He will know your name you will follow him, and your future is, is eternal life with him and his people, and it is in the safety of a paradise where sin's work isn't found. There are consequences to unbelief, and there are unending benefits to belief, chiefly Christ alone. He is the consequence of our belief. He is, he is our gain, and everything else is just, is just a cherry on top. And, and the bonus is, is that all that is his is granted to you as sons and daughters, as heirs of the king. And it's, it's not because of your obedience. It's because of his obedience despite our disobedience. That, that's the gospel. That is the good news. That we gain what we don't deserve. That Jesus took what we deserve and he took it upon himself and he gave us what he deserved. The last thing we see is, is this, the chaos of unbelief. <clears throat> when they decide to do their own thing apart from God's wisdom, chaos follows. I want to read... Uh, uh, Matt read uh, the ESV version of this. I want to read a paraphrase of this to kind of like get at the heart of what's happening here. I'm ish, 34-ish. Jesus said, I'm only quoting your inspired scripture. So they said, like, you blasphemer, right? And, and, he's, and, and this is his response to them is, I'm only quoting your scripture where God says, I tell you, you are God's little g, if, if God called your ancestors gods uh, and scripture doesn't lie, why do you yell blasphemer at me, at the unique one, the, the one that, that actually the father consecrated and sent into the world just because I said I am the son of God? If I don't do the things my father does, well, well, that's well and good. Don't believe me. But if I am doing them, put aside for a moment what you hear me say about myself and just take the evidence of the actions that are right before you, then perhaps things will come together for you and you'll see that not only are we doing the same thing, we are the same, Father and Son, He is in me and I am in Him. And then He dipped because they're like, get the pitchforks. And He's like, I'm out of here. He did it again. He, he jacked sparrows His way out of here again. 
He sneaks off. Jesus' point, he's, he's quoting Psalm 82, and, and he's saying that, that if human judges can in some sense be called gods, which is what that says, uh, that, what that means, it doesn't mean that we're going to be all-knowing, all-authority, all-powerful. It doesn't mean that in the afterlife we become, like, you don't become gods, and even more so, you don't become angels, right? That's not how death or life works, okay? Tell your kids something else, right? Um, like what you can tell what's true. That's a good thing. So, uh, and so what, what he's saying is how much more appropriate is, is this designation for the true son of God? And so he's basically just saying uh, scripture cannot be broken. And, and you're trying to, to trip Jesus up. Jesus, who is the word of God, you're trying to trip him up on a technicality. And he, he knows all of it. He is the word made flesh. You're not going to win a, a, a scripture, a, a trivia battle with Jesus. That's never going to happen. And so he's basically just engaging them on a technicality because he knows that there's no way they would actually respond to whatever it is, whatever truth he's saying. He's also showing them the dysfunction that comes with disbelief. See, these religious leaders claim to be formed and sent by the very fabric of God's word. And he's showing them, one, that's not true. You don't even know God's word. And, and then he's, he's saying uh, that they are blind to see the exact imprint of God in the flesh in the very temple where they worship him. When scripture is broken, chaos ensues. They don't know truth. They know what they're protecting. They know what they're hoping in, but they don't know truth. Like, whether you're a sports person or not, like, you probably know what the game of baseball is. Is that fair? Okay. Um, and, and maybe you know, like, backyard baseball, it's iconic and all those things. Imagine just finding a field, and you have a uh, a group of people, let's say just all of us, just like walk somewhere and we find a field and it's just grass and, and there's uh, some stuff around, there's some uh, pitching and some hitting and some throwing, but there are no bases and there are no mound and there are no teams and there's no batter's box, there's no ump, there's no strike zone. Like, what would that look like? If no one said, here's what we're going to do. Okay, so uh, you, if, if everybody just Strike, that one is strike. Can you imagine what that baseball game would look like? It wouldn't look like baseball. It would be just utter chaos. That's what our life looks like when we don't submit to, to the truth of who God is. When we don't submit to follow Jesus as he invites us, not inviting him to follow us in our ways. Complete dysfunction and chaos. But, but you imagine if we said, okay, I, I brought some bases or we're going to use uh, my shoe as first, like, right, you figure it out and, and here's the line and, hey, okay, I'll be the ump and I'm all-time pitcher and, and like, uh, teams and, hey, you guys sit out, let's play 9v9 and, like, you imagine that it would, hey, this, like, looks and feels like baseball. That's the way life works as well. 
It's the same thing. And so when we don't build our life on something that's true, it's just utter chaos. And so what he's showing them is, is they're confused about the truth of God so much that they don't hear him and they can't follow him. And secondly, they oppose him. And how do I know that? Because they want to kill him. They want to eliminate the influence of Jesus from this world. Does that sound familiar? Have you interacted with anyone else who wants to eliminate the influence of Jesus from this world? Like, like lots of people with, with loud megaphones and lots of followers and lots of influence in the world around us. They want to eliminate the influence of Jesus from this world. And, and what I would tell you is, is just like we see here is that they're, conf they're confused about the truth of God and that leads them to oppose God. It's, it's the same true, maybe for you, but certainly for the world around us. And Jesus engages the chaos of unbelief. In, in our culture, we think that individualism leads to freedom. And so what I mean by that is a lot of stuff, but, but the highest goal in the world's view so often is complete independence. And I don't just mean like I'm 18 and I'm paying for my own gas and I have my own place to live. I don't mean that. I just mean complete independence from everything. And the undercurrent of that goal is that one we know better than God. When you say like I have it all figured out and my way is the best way and this is the way that I engage all of these things and, and whatever it is around us, my way is the best way. I know better than God. I know better than the author of life. I, I know better than the one who designed the rules of the game for the greatest joy. I know better. And we herald that as if it's a good thing and then, then we can live life unaccountable to supreme authority. That's the world's play. That's the Jews' play in the scene. That might be your play. That if I just reject God, then, then I don't have to be accountable to a supreme authority that might uh, invite me to live a life that doesn't bring as much joy into my life. And I just want to live. The, but, but what he's telling us is that his way is the best way. And his way is the, the way to the fullness of life. And his way is the way to eternal life. Because everyone will give account to God. He will, he will see our sin and rebellion or he will see Christ's righteousness in, in his obedience. That's our end. And if he sees Christ's righteousness by, by faith alone that we might believe, then, then all of his goodness is accredited to us. And at the end of days, he says, welcome, my son. Welcome, my daughter. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And you say, no, but, but I messed up. I messed up all the time. And you say, I know. I know, because I know you. You trusted Jesus to be all that you could never be. And you lived your life to follow him. That, that's what we get to try to do. So for those in Christ, to believe is to submit to the greatest authority, to the God of order from chaos. And the lie is that independence from God brings order. It, it never does. You think that it does, but it, it never does. That, that a life apart from God leads to peace. It never will. 
Because running from the one who holds all things together is never going to yield you peace. Failure to believe will only and always lead to chaos. And it might not show up on day one, but, but mark it down. That's what the end will be. And that, that's true for you as an individual. That's true for me, and that's true for us as a society. That's true for a world walking in blind darkness and boasting that, that it has light to see the way it, it doesn't. So how does all this end? And the band can come on up. All this ends like this. In verse 41 and 42, kind of the, the end of this little, uh, little section, it says, uh, in verse 40, he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything John said about this man was true. So he's back in John's neighborhood, kind of where all this began. And they're basically just validating like, man, John wasn't a big deal. But John said that this guy's a big deal. And I think he might actually be right. And then we see this last line. And many believed in him there. So where does all this meet us? Where does all this meet our life our, our heart, our present, our future, forever forward? Well, Jesus engages the, the cause and the consequence and the chaos of unbelief, and he invites you to believe. He invites me to believe. He invites us to believe. And so the question is, I mean, as we kind of reflect and, and repent and respond, what are you going to do about it? You can continue to reject him, and he showed you what that will lead you to. You can claim neutrality and be like, ah, like, I don't have to receive and I don't have to reject and I kind of just ride in the middle somewhere and not have any enemies and, and certainly God loves me because I'm like the greatest. But here's the thing, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't give space to ride in neutrality. If, you, if you're not for him, you are against him or you can believe, behold, and even today, you can be his. All right, and that's what I invite us into today. Whether you've believed for, for 50 years or you never have in your life, today we get to respond to this invitation to Jesus. He showed us what unbelief looks like, right? And, and he showed us what it looks like to follow him. And so that's my invitation to you, that you would today, right where you are, sit down, stand up. You can sing with the band. You can pray over there. You can respond by connecting with somebody over by that red tree. They would love to pray with you. Right? And if you have questions, or maybe for the first time in your life you say, I, I want to believe, and I want to be a part of God's family, we would love to talk to you about that. And if you're like too uncomfortable about that, you can write on a Connect card and give to the Connect desk, and, and I'll follow up with you this week. We'd love to chat about that. So for those who are in God's family, those who have trusted Jesus, we get to respond by taking communion. And, and the reason why we do that is it gives us space to reflect on our own sin and repent of that, turn from that, and then we get to remember Christ's work, that his body was broken, and, and we take the bread to remind us of that, that his blood was spilled so that ours wouldn't have to be by the wrath of God against sin, that we are part of the family, and we get to share this meal with the Lord and with the church because of Christ's work. If you're not in Christ, that's not for you, but we'd love to chat with you. And so 
please uh, reach out to us. And, and like I said, you can pray with someone at that tree. Would you pray with me right now? God, thanks for all of this, your word, um, the clarity that you bring, um, and, and at times the confusion that, that we have about what to do with your words. And we see that that's not new, but, but you have shown us who you are. And today, we just pray that, that you, would, you would open the door into your family and that people might sit with you at the table and maybe some that never have. God, maybe it's some that are wayward where they come to you and just believe, behold, find their rest in you. In Jesus' name.